0: And God gave me a message on uh, preparation. And I was like, I don't That's kind of a weird message, God. I, I was trying to do something else. But he gave me this message, and he was showing me that we prepare for a lot of things. For instance, we're in the process of moving, and we're preparing for a baby. We're making more room for that, and we're in preparation for things. And we try to do everything to make sure it doesn't go wrong. We'll do anything to make sure that we're prepared. And God asked me, he said, so you, want, you are prepared for that. And you're prepared for work in the morning. I had to wake up at 4.45 in the morning to drive to a prison. And I prepared for it. But how many times do we prepare for revival? How many times do we prepare for the coming of the Lord? We get to a place where, like, I can prepare for school. I can get Christian up in the morning and get him ready for school. I can get myself to work, but sometimes I don't make time for prayer in the day. And so he began to impress on me that preparation for what we want to see is important. And we're all preparing for something. Sometimes it's not the Lord, but we're preparing for something. And he gave me this message from Matthew 3, and we're going to start in verse 1. I don't think I'm going to make it all the way through the scripture, but I might. So we're going to start Matthew 3, verse 1. It's just about John preparing the way for Jesus. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So, uh, Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord coming, clear the road for him. First thing that stood out to me was preparation begins in isolated places. Sometimes we think that preparation is going to include a hundred people with us. we like, well, God gave me this vision, so people are going to jump on board with me. John gave birth to his ministry in the wilderness alone. Sometimes you're in an isolated place and you're wondering, why am I isolated from everybody and everything right now? But God specifically put you in that isolated place to birth something in you. Sometimes it's a blessing of God to be in a dry place, because when you're in a dry place, when you're in an isolated place, when you're deserted, you know that it's nothing but God that birthed that ministry. When you have all the resources and all the things and all the thing, all the people around you, then you might think it's based on you. You might think it's based on your resource. But when God can strip all that from you and he can say, hey, now you know got you through it. It was my resource that birthed that ministry in you. Separation isn't always rejection. Sometimes we think oh they rejected me. God's like no I removed that person from you because I needed you to be separated for my purpose. I needed you to be separated for the preparation of the ministry that I have you going into. This is why you don't despise small beginnings. Sometimes your greatest pain or your driest season or your most isolated place will be what gives birth to your greatest ministry. That sickness that you thought was going to kill you is what actually made you so dependent on God. That it brought about a ministry in you. That relationship that didn't work out that you thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. God actually removed you from that person so that you could have a better relationship in the future. So that you could have a better ministry in the future. Those friends that didn't stick around. God removed from you so that you could move forward in a better way. That family that abandoned you. God like, I got a better family for you. I know that's your biological family, but I have a better spiritual family for you. It's for total dependence on him. And I was thinking back about when I moved to Evansville. It was not fun. I'll just tell you that. I struggled. I remember before I told Pastor Brian that I was going to move and start working at a psychiatric hospital, I was thinking, God, I don't think this is actually you. I was telling God what I thought about what he had planned for me. I was like, okay, God, I really like working here. I'm, I'm really comfortable here, and I like being here, and I like this church family, and I love them. I was like, I don't really think that's the Lord. So then I decided I would fast and pray, but I wasn't fasting and praying to get on one accord with the Lord. I was fasting and praying for my own will. I was like, God, I'm fasting and praying and asking you not to make me move. <laughs> and that's not how you should fast and pray, just so you know. It was wrong. I went through a great mental battle when I moved to Evansville because I attended a Simples of God Churches because that's where I was licensed, but it didn't feel like a church home. And then I ended up in a church that was a non-denominational church. And I was stripped of my identity of the Assemblies of God. I always tell people I was unbranded Assemblies of God. I had been branded so long, and then I was unbranded in Evansville. And the church that I was in didn't feel like a church family. And so God began to strip things away from me. And I felt like, God, this can't be your will. This can't be you. You can't prepare me in an isolated place. I have to have people, I have to have my denomination, I have to have friends, I have to have family. I didn't have any of that. I had to know that I was thankful, but I didn't have the denomination that I had been so comfortable with for so long. I didn't have the friends that I had been so comfortable with for so long. And so then I had to get in total dependence on God and say, God, I don't know what you're doing because I'm not even involved in full-time ministry anymore. Now I work with psychiatric patients who forget me the next day who have a psychiatric break and try to beat me up every day. You spit on me and pee on me and all those things. How was like, God, this can't be you. Like, I fasted and prayed, and I asked you to change your mind. I and mean, this can't be you, God. You can't be doing that. But he began to show me that I had to strip everything away from you because you put dependence on people. You put dependence on denomination. You put dependence on your church more than you put dependence on me.
1: Prepared for it. You're gonna have to be in an isolated place sometimes.
0: Yes. You're gonna have to break away from the cultural north. And the second thing he showed me in that verse was preparation begins with anyone. The verse simply calls him the voice. It didn't call him John the Savior, John the pastor, John the minister. It just said the voice of yeah. one calling in the wilderness. Yeah. Sometimes we get so caught up on titles we're like, well, we'll have a revival when the pastor gets on board. praying. We get so caught up in how we look on a Sunday or what our title is or where our ministry position is. But John was just simply a voice calling out to God. Saying, prepare the way for the Lord. John used what he had, which was his voice. You may not have a lot. You may only have a voice. That's all John needed. Use what you have. And that's what you need to get to the Lord. I was thinking about Miss Maybelline and her voice. She had just such a small, sweet little voice. She was such a wonderful lady. I was just thinking about her voice, but she used her voice for the Lord. It's so important to use what we have, even if it's a small voice, even if it's a loud voice. Booming voice. We have like extreme opposites in this family. She has the sweetest little voice. And we have the booming voices of the pastors here. <laughs> Pastor Jason, I was <laughs> told, Pastor Jamel that he could he project could across the room if he yeah. wanted to yeah. without a microphone. And it, whatever voice that you have, whatever thing that you have, whatever it is, that's what John had. He said, yes. I'm in the wilderness. I don't have any resources. I don't have any things. But I have the voice. I'm going to use it to call out to God. Trevor, Preparation begins with anybody. Isn't that what we need right now? And I I was going to say, isn't that what we need in this generation? But that's wrong. Revival can break break out with 70-year-olds, with the 80-year-olds. If you have a voice, you're still living, you're still breathing. You have a place in preparation for revival. God used what he had. And it doesn't matter what kind of voice you have. We put our words to so much put our actions to so much? How many times are we using our voice in preparation for revival? What are you putting your voice to? We can use our voice to talk about our opinions of a revival, but not use it to cry out for one. I don't need the wisdom of man. I need the word from God. I don't need what man has to say about this or that. I just need a word from God and it takes my voice. Then in verse 4, it says John's clothes were woven from coarse camel's hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist for food he ate, locusts, and wild honey. The problem wasn't that John's apparel was just weird. It wasn't that it was just weird, but actually John's apparel didn't match his father's apparel. His father was a priest, so John was supposed to follow the customs of that age and wear a priestly robe instead he's wearing hair around his stomach and eating locusts and honey people are probably thinking wow he's really a a prodigal son right now he's acting kind of weird that's probably what they were thinking but John wasn't afraid to separate himself or to consecrate himself for preparation for revival for the way of the Lord for Jesus coming he wasn't afraid to separate himself if we could get on board with that preparation begins when we break cultural norms when we're no longer worried about this is what my father did and this is what i have to do and i have to follow the culture of this world preparation will break cultural norms if we could get so serious about god like john that we would even just wear what god wants us to wear just speak what god wants us to speak Wearing that kind of stuff around you does not look successful in the world's eyes. And so sometimes we look at the success of man and we think, well, that business is booming, that their money is growing, the people are increasing, and God's like, that's not what success looks like. Success looks like you're following me 100%, even if it's alone in the wilderness with something around your waist and you're eating locusts and honey." My reward is not success of the world. It's a crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4 8 says, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearing. That's success. The crown of righteousness. And really, in reality, when we get to heaven, all we're going to do is lay that kind of righteousness at his feet. But that's success. And I was thinking about. The guys at the prison, I told Pastor Brian I was going to share part of this and just breaking cultural norms. The guys at the prison that I work at, we have about 1,400 men who are there right now. It's a medium security, so they're in a dorm setting. Nobody's in an isolated cell unless they're in trouble. There's about 30 of those, but they're in a dorm setting, about 500 men in a dorm. And they all, that's kind of a lot of people. There was five guys who came into the chapel one day and they said, we want to see the chapel service grow. Because we were, I mean, sometimes we could have 12 people, sometimes we would have 50. They said, we want to see the chapel grow. We want to see that people would just pour into this place and experience the presence of God. And these are inmates who live there. And so I all like, all right, I think you guys should pray. And I said, I recommend fasting. I said, but you know, I can't tell you to do that because I'm a chaplain. And I don't want to get in trouble for a hunger strike. But I said, if I get in trouble, it's all right. If you want to fast and pray, you should do that. So these five men got real serious about fasting and praying. And the guys at the dorm thought they were crazy. Because fasting is hard all by itself. Fasting with 500 people in a dorm with you is harder. Especially when they're making slams. I don't know if you guys have ever watched the TikTok or the YouTube videos where people make prison slams and they make casserole dishes and things. They smell amazing. And so they're, they're in this dorm with 500 men and they're fasting and praying. They're breaking their cultural norm. They're saying, I refuse to make an excuse for myself that I can't fast. Because there's 500 men in this dorm doesn't mean I can't fast. They start fasting and praying and two weeks later, our chapel became so full we had to Create a wait list so that people can come to church. And I think sometimes we think, well, there's no cultural norm for me to break. There's nothing for me to break. There's nothing for me to to get past. I can't fast. You don't know how hectic my life is. Let me tell you, if you haven't lived in prison, I don't think your life is that hectic at the moment. (laughs) We've had uh, multiple stabbings and multiple uh, drug users recently trafficking and drugs, and these men just were committed. I felt kind of bad. I told the one, I was like, listen, it's okay. He said, it's okay if you don't want to do it. And he was like, how could you say that to me? And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm wrong. I, like, I am wrong. <laughs> but I felt bad for him. But they realized that preparation broke cultural norms. That preparation for revival was going to take something more serious than just expecting God to do it for them. The goal is not to make them known, make me known, make you known. It's To make God known. And so then verse 5 and 6. says people from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all of the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Preparation brings increase. The whole region went to see John. Now, some of those people may have been spectators. Probably were. But... The fact is that when the realness and the authenticity of revival broke out. Because that was revival. John was preparing the way for Jesus. When the realness of what had happened, people heard about it. They left the comforts of their own home and went to the area. It was so real, so authentic, that they were willing to go to an uncomfortable place to receive it. In preparation for the Lord, sometimes you have to leave the comfortable place and go to the unfamiliar place in preparation for the Lord. But sometimes we don't even like to raise our hands because they get tired. We don't want to talk about that because that's too real. I understand. My arms get tired too. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, if I raise your hand again, I'm like, oh my goodness. I raised my hand five times. But sometimes you have to be in the uncomfortable place in preparation for the Lord. Sometimes you have to fast and pray in preparation for the Lord. And we wonder why we haven't experienced revival. I've never, I I didn't go to the Asbury revival, but I've never seen a revival. And I wonder why. Because sometimes, oh man, I'm just too tired to pray. I got up at 4.45 this morning, and not this morning, but when I go to work, I get up at 4.45. Sometimes I don't get home until 6 p.m., And sometimes I'm like, Lord, I'm just tired. You don't understand, right? And I wonder why I haven't experienced revival. If we want the increase of revival, we need to be prepared for it. What we need right now is to be able to get out of our comfort zone. Amen. Even sometimes the altar, like, oh I'm not gonna go up because I don't want to look at me and know that I I'm struggling with that. Or I need healing in that. Or I need healing again. I've gone to the altar 20 times and I'm not going to go again because that would be embarrassing. People would know that I haven't been healed yet. What you need is right outside your comfort zone. But many will allow fear of the unfamiliar to keep them from experiencing revival. Because revival doesn't happen in thousands of people. It happens individually first. And I remember... When Pastor Farrell, when we were just friends, he told me, "I don't think you're gonna be at Cross Point that long." And I was like, "Ah, you're crazy." Uh, I remember, I was like, "No, I am gonna be there." I said, "I, I was like, I told him I was gonna be there like five years." I said, "I'm planning on doing that," um, because it was uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable to think about. I may have to leave this place to go. Yeah where God wants me to go and do what God wants me to do. Like I told you, I was resistant to it for the most part. We want to have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in comfort. Uh And it creates lukewarm Christians. That's how you become a lukewarm Christian. It's not by living in (laughs) sin every day of your life. It's by saying, God, I I want the kingdom. I want more of you, all of you, less of me. And then... But I also want to stay comfortable. And that's the form of Christianity. We use our voice to talk about a lot of things. We do these, we refuse to break cultural norms. But sometimes it's pretty simple to get out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it's not just running in here and running out at the beginning of the end of service, but staying and being discipled by somebody. Sometimes the uncomfortable places. Giving up your Wednesday evenings and coming to church and being discipled. Sometimes the uncomfortable place is actually giving your time.
1: But sometimes you think, oh man, I
0: don't, I don't know the uncomfortable place. But if we were just willing to sacrifice something, you'd be amazed at what God is going to show up and do, right? We can have all the hype in the world. We can have all the lights. But John knew the only thing that you need is a voice crying out. Even if you're in an isolated place. And it'll draw people. It'll bring increase to you. It'll bring increase to your family. So you're not going to have to preach down somebody's throat in your family when you're living right. Because your life is going to preach to them. He was preparing them by insisting on what we need is repentance. What we need for revival is repentance. In verse 7 and 8. Says, but when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch and baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Preparation shows your allegiance. Not everyone who is with you is for you. The Pharisees were conservative,
1: the Sadducees
0: were liberal. To put it another way, they were more concerned with their politics than they were with the Lord. And we have people who pled more allegiance to the red or the blue side than they do to Jesus Christ. More allegiance to the American flag, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but more allegiance to the American flag than they will to Christ. And the thing is, when I get really prepared for revival, I recognize as long as it lines up with the word, I'm for it. I can believe in helping poor people, And I can believe in the sanctity of life. Because both of those things are in the Bible. I don't care if it's the red or the blue side. I don't care if it's the elephant or the donkey. I care about that (laughs) it's the word of God. I'm a disciple before I'm a Democrat. I'm a disciple before I'm a Republican. I'm a disciple before I'm an American. If people look at me and the first thing they recognize about me is I'm an American, not a disciple, I have an issue. (coughs) So it's important. Then in preparation, we recognize who our allegiance is to. Verse 9 to 12 says, Don't just say to each other we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat and with the winnowing fork, then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Preparation is for baptism. First, he tells them, don't have a mouth that doesn't match your life don't think you have the special token that you're not going to be baptized see he's saying the Holy Spirit's going to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit you're either, you are going to be baptized in the end it's your choice which baptism you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of fire and judgment kingdom living is opposite you have to be prepared for that just in the text it's not the it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. It's you will be baptized with the fire <coughs> and the Holy Spirit. They're two separate things. And he's saying the axe is at the bottom, which means judgment is coming soon. He saying everyone's going to be baptized. What are you prepared for? I'm preparing the way for Jesus. What are you prepared for? Only those made alive with Christ will avoid the fire and be baptized with the God. Spirit. And the last thing in verse 13 to 15 preparation includes the unworthy. Then Jesus went to Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. John felt like I, I know the words in preparation for Jesus, but when Jesus was actually there, he felt unworthy to even untie his sandals. He said, no, I can't baptize you. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the life that I've lived. When I think of the things I've done in the past, there's no way that I can baptize Jesus. Yeah. Imagine... John, one of the first people who recognized Jesus as the Son of God while he was still in his mother's womb, he was touched by the Holy Spirit. Oh, and he felt unworthy to baptize Jesus. And I think so many of us today, a reason why we haven't experienced revival is because we feel unworthy to place ourselves in that situation, to place ourselves in the presence of God because of God. You don't know what I've done. He does know what you've done. But we think, oh, God doesn't have a clue what I've done. That's what John is telling Jesus. He's like, you? No. No, I'm not going to do that. This is a common feeling for us. And Jesus responds to him by telling him, serve me anyways. Regardless that you feel unworthy, do it anyways. Regardless that you feel unworthy, raise your hands anyways. Regardless that you feel unworthy, God called you to preach, preach anyways anyways show the people at your work the love of Christ anyways share about the Bible I know you feel unworthy there's a lot of excuses we can make up we can say but God I did this yesterday he's like serve me anyways I don't care it's so important that we in preparation we recognize he's going to use the unworthy which is all of us Jesus told his disciples follow me and I will make you he didn't say, get this together and then follow me. He said, follow me and I will make you who you need to be. Yeah, yeah. And if we begin to live like John in preparation for revival and start to follow the Lord, he will make you what you need to be.
1: He didn't wait for them to have it all
0: together. We just need to have the voice crying out to the Lord to transform us. Still struggling, but transforming us. Still jealous, but transforming us. I heard on the radio the other day, jealousy will hit you in a personal place. I'm not jealous of a TV star because I can't get But if I hear a good preacher, I might tend to get jealous. Jealous is going to hit you in a personal place. I don't get jealous of people who can sing because I don't have a musical bone in my body. I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. But it's going to hit you in a personal place. The chaplains that I work with, most of them have been doing it for years. And sometimes they do their job so well, I tend to get jealous of them. It's going to hit you in a personal place. So still jealous, but he's transforming you. Sometimes it's still doubting, but he's transforming you. Still filled with anxiety, but he's transforming you. Still gossiping, but he's transforming you. Still fornicating, but he's transforming you. He says, follow me and I will make you. A lot of times we think, well, I've done this, so I can't be in a position to lead someone to the Lord. He says, follow me. Now that thing is going to be worked out of you. But you say, follow me. Stop discounting yourself just because you're unworthy. We all are. And if you're here and you feel like, well, I don't have anything. All John had was a voice in preparation for revival. All he had was the voice. Isolated, deserted. A lot of times that's how we come to God. We're like, God, I'm isolated and deserted. He's like, great. That's how I need you. That's how I can love the Lord. When I really got serious about the Lord, it was because I was isolated. I was in a deserted place. And I recognized the only thing that's going to work for me is the Lord, nothing else. So if you don't have anything else, but you're ready for the Lord to move, and you have a voice, or you have your hands, or you have your feet, just use what you have. And you will experience revival. It's so important to just... Be willing to take that step out of your comfort zone. I know it is it is uncomfortable. That's why they call it your comfort zone. It's uncomfortable. Believe <laughs> it. But I'm just going to invite you up here. If you're ready for revival, if you're ready for the Lord to move. if you don't know the Lord and you know that the judgment is coming, that the fire is coming, you're saying, I need the Lord because I don't want the fire to hit me. I want <laughs> the Holy Spirit to hit me in the end. I want to go, and I don't have to experience judgment. If that's you, you can come forward. But also, if you want to experience revival, if you want to be in place of preparation for revival, I'm just going to open up these altars.